Some of you that don't know who that is, J.R. Packer, he is one of my favorite authors. He is a leading scholar. He's 91 years old, and uh, he's losing his sight, and, but just an amazing, amazing person. He has written one of my probably top five books, and one of the books he wrote uh, was called Knowing God. And I would say for all of you, if, if you want to grow deeper in your faith, in your understanding about the character of God, I cannot highly recommend this book more, Knowing God by J.R. Packer, and I know that you'll be blessed. It was one of the first books I read when I went to Bible college, and uh, it's been one of my favorites ever since. I can highly recommend it, but I love his definition of the church, and that's what we're looking at over the next several weeks is why we do what we do. Have Have you ever just wondered in your life you're doing something, and you're like, why am I doing this? What is the purpose? And I, I think of that usually when I get up in the morning and I put my running shoes on. I'm like, why am I doing this? Right? And I got to remind myself, this is good, Bart. And this is, this is good. It's good for your heart. It's, it's good for your health. Go out there and, and jog because this is, is supposed to be good for you. And I think sometimes we lose our way. And I think sometimes we forget why we're doing what we're doing, especially within the church. And I think sometimes we get into this rut where we just say, well, you know, I got to go, I got to go to church. I, I, I got to do this. I, I got to do that. And we, and we lose our passion and our vision for why we are part of the body of Christ. And what I wanted to do today is I, I wanted to talk about the church and, and, and why we come to church and, and what is the purpose of of the body of Christ and maybe help, help us work through some myths about the church to give you a new vision and a new passion and a new purpose and hopefully give you a new reason for your life and why you're doing what you're doing. Because how many of us know we can all lose our way very quickly? I remember as a kid going to church and we were a family that went to church and um, every Sunday we went to church. And uh, this was what we did. And I, I remember asking my parents, why do we go to church? I mean, what, I, I, it was boring. And I just, not that I didn't learn anything. I just didn't like going. And, and you know, we had to sit and we, we had pews there and there were wood. And the only cushions in our seat were in the first four rows. I'm like, I don't know if that was supposed to get people to move. Hey, here are the cushions. So move towards the front, right? Maybe I should do that here. That's actually a good idea, actually. Um, and so, you know, I, I don't want to sit in the front. So we'd sit in these hard seats. And it's just, I, I didn't get it. And I, you know, and, and my, my parents, you know, I don't, at the time, I don't think they fully understood. They just thought, this is the right thing to do. Good people go to church. It's the, it's the religious thing to do. And maybe you were, maybe you were raised that way where you just, you went to church because it was the right thing to do. It was the religious thing to do. And, and, and I know for my parents, there was a point in their lives where they came to a, a salvation in Christ, where, where they understood about having a personal relationship with Christ and, and, and it, it all changed for them and same for me. But as a kid, I wasn't getting much out of it. I, uh, you know, I, I, I just, I'm thankful that my parents were faithful um, to do that. And I remember when you went to church, um, you dressed up. Remember the days when you dressed up to the hilt to go to church? You put on your Sunday best. I'm going to just tell you, my parents, they did not hold back dressing me up as a kid. I, I would go to church in a trench coat as a, like a five-year-old. I mean, I, I, I look like 
you know, Colombo. I mean, I was, I had the trench coat. I had the fedora like Telly Savalas, right? I, I was, for you kids, that's Justin Timberlake. I look like Justin Timberlake with my fedora. Uh, I, w- I was rocking it to church. I mean, and so it, it, it was part of our family. It was something we did. But, but if you were forced to go to church, Later on in your life, what began to happen is like, if I didn't understand what the reason was for going to church and what my purpose is and what the vision is, you stopped going. And for maybe some of you here today, you stopped going and then you came back because you kind of understood. Or maybe you're here and you're a parent and your kids started asking, like, I've got a friend that goes to church. Why don't don't we go to church, right? And so the kids out of guilt forced you back into church. Whatever, there's whatever reason you may have, there's many reasons but, but I want us to talk about what is the purpose. And here's what I want to do over the next month. I, I want to dive into topics of, of why we do church. I'm, and my prayer is that it will light a fire underneath us. Living word needs a fire lit underneath it. We, we, need, to, we need to come back to our roots. And, and, and I think sometimes it's good for us to come back to why we do what we do. And, and I think this is one of the things that, that we can tend to forget. Either, either if you've been a Christian for a long time, we forget what it was like when we first came to know Christ as our Lord and Savior and the passion that burned within us. And then you kind of go through your life and you kind of get crusty and it kind of becomes mundane and you get used to the Christian lingo and you get used to the Christian culture and your heart can easily become hardened to the things of God. And we can all, it happens to all of us. So I want us to kind of come back to our roots. And so why is this important? Why should I be part of a community of believers? Why can't I just worship God any place? Why should I be consistent in my church attendance? Why should I, why should I implement my life into the body of Christ? Why should it be more than just something that's casual or once in a while? Why should I immerse myself into the community of Christ? And so what I want to do today is I want to talk about church and why we do church. What is the purpose? What is the reason that I need to be part of the body of Christ? Jesus makes this incredible statement to Peter. And what he says to Peter, he says to Peter, I will build my church. And so that's the verse that I want to dig in today. Matthew chapter 16. If you've got your Bibles, you can turn there. You can use the Bibles in front of you. If you don't have a Bible, that's our gift to you. You may take those. But Matthew chapter 16, and I want to look at this conversation of Peter's confession of Christ. This is the whole foundation of the church. What Jesus says to Peter is foundational for what we believe about the body of Christ and why we're actually here today, 2,000 years later. This is foundational. So let's look at this conversation. I want to look at verses 13 through 18. And so Jesus, he's, he's, he's in this region of Philippi and he's... Um, Caesarea Philippi, and he's he's talking to the disciples here. And he asks them this question. He says, who do the people say the Son of Man is? He's prompting them. What are people saying about me? And they replied, well, some said that that they say you're John the Baptist, other Elijah, still others say Jeremiah or or one of the other prophets. And then he says, what about you? 
been walking with me. Been seeing what I've been doing. Who do you say that I am? And then Simon Peter answers this. You are the Christ, the son of the living God. Now let me pause it for just a minute before we jump into 17. That is the foundation for the church. Peter's confession of who Christ is, is the foundation for the body of Christ. You are the anointed one. You are the son of the living God. And so what Jesus then, verse 17, he replies and says, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by man, but by my father in heaven. And I will tell you that you are Peter and on this rock, I will build my church in the gates of Hader. The gates of hell will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth, we bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth will also be loosed in heaven. But I want to focus on this. And I tell you that you are Peter and on this rock, I will build my church in the gates of Hades, the gates of hell will not overcome it. So here's what I want to do. Amen to God's word. So here's what I want to do. I, w- I want to dive into some myths about the church because depending on the way you were raised, we all have different understandings about the church. And what happens with a myth is that after a while, a myth can, be, can actually become a truth to us if we don't diagnose it correctly. And so what I want to do today is I want to give you two myths about the church and break those in your mind so we can understand what this scripture means. So it gives us a new understanding of the body of Christ and why we're here today and what our purpose is on this earth. So it will change the way that you live your life. And everybody said, amen. So let's, let me give you the first myth. I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time on this. The second myth I'm going to spend a lot more time on. But let's look at the first myth about the church. Let me just say this right off the bat. The church isn't perfect. Please say amen. Okay? Because here's the thing. We have this misconception and we have these expectations about the church, these huge high standards. And I hear people say this all the time and it drives me bananas. Can I tell you what drives me bananas? Can I just, can I just share can I get on a little soapbox for just a minute and give you one of my pet peeves that people say, please don't say this, even though I've said it before, but please don't say this. This is what we say about the church. When we see something wrong with the church or something that somebody does unbecoming of Christ in the church, we tend to distance ourselves from it and say, that church isn't friendly. We distance ourselves, right? Well, that church did this, or that person that went to that church did so-and-so. And when we distance ourselves from the church and remove ourselves, what we're saying is, isn't that the same person that Jesus died for? Isn't that the body of Christ? Are we not going to make mistakes? When we have this, when we have this expectations that, Everybody's going to do the right thing. Everybody's going to say the right thing. Listen, 
The church is not a perfect place because it's filled with imperfect people. Now, Jesus is perfect, thank God. Thank God he's patient with us. But the incredible thing about Jesus is he uses us for his purposes. A broken people, a messed up people. Listen, the older I get, I'm 51 now, so I'm getting a little bit more wise, getting some more gray hair. The more gray hair I get, the more wiser I get. Actually, the less I know, actually, right? But here's what I figured out. Here's what I'm figuring out. The more and more people I talk to, the more and more I looked at my life, you know what? We're all messed up. We all got problems, don't we? We do. And we try to cover them and we try to make them smell good. And we spray Febreze on ourselves to try to make the stink smell better. But at the end of the day, we're just stinky. We are. We're, we're, we're messed up in many different ways. And this is the church. This is the body that Jesus died for. If you're looking for a perfect church, you are not going to find it at Living Word. You're not going to find it here. Because we, from different backgrounds, different situations, mistakes we have made, we come and we fall on the grace of God to help us. So please, please be careful. Can I give you another pet peeve I have? I always get nervous when people say, Well, your church doesn't do this, but the church I came from, they used to. So what I tell them, guess what? You're going to be here any length of time, and guess what? You're going to find the same thing here. Some way, some form, you may find the same thing here. Be careful. Don't compare. How many of you know the deeper you get into fellowship with somebody, the more our flaws are revealed? Let me give you an example here. I remember when you got, first got married, you married couples, and you're engaged, and I meet with these engaged couples, and they're, you know, we have our premarital classes, and they're all, you know, lovey-dovey, and holding hands, and life is, oh, I just love him. You know, you look on their Instagram page, they're the love of my life, you complete me. The world just smells better when you're around. And all of a sudden, you get married, right? And you hear your wife scream, at 3 a.m. in the morning because you forgot to put the toilet seat down, right? All of a sudden, this aura of wonder and love has just flown out the window, right? Why? Because you're getting to know each other, aren't you? And guess what? You're getting to know each other's what? Flaws. They're not as perfect and wonderful as you thought they were, right? You're starting to see some of the other side you see that's like the church see we can come and not have fellowship with one another and just have this perception that everything's okay but the closer we get to one another the more we're going to rub on each other right the more our flaws are going to be revealed which gives us a greater ability to show grace to one another bear with one another in love The word bear there means to put up with each other's inconsistencies. That's when the church gets real. That's when we really get to know each other and we see each other's flaws and we're vulnerable with each other, but we're able to minister each other and show grace and show forgiveness. This is when the church gets real. This is the church that Jesus died for. 
See, we falsely believe that Christians should know better. And we have this expectation that I should never get hurt in church. But guess what? Other Christians will let you down. They will make mistakes. They will say things they shouldn't. So when we let each other down, it gives us an opportunity to forgive. It gives us an opportunity to live out Christ's forgiveness in our lives. And the problem is, is, is often we walk away never forgiving and we hold on to our bitterness. And then we talk about how bad that church is to other people and how they hurt me. We will never grow in our walk with Christ if we hold on to that attitude. So the question we need to ask ourselves is what are we doing to build the church that Jesus died for, not necessarily tear it apart? So let's break that myth that the church is a a perfect place, because it's not. We are broken, messy people, and we have to learn to show grace to one another and learn to forgive each other and work out our relationships. Amen? When you do that, the church is a beautiful place, because what you're doing is you're allowing the gospel message of forgiveness that Jesus saved you from to be displayed in your life as you offer that to other people around you. You will never, listen, you will never grow in isolation. You will never grow in your relationship with the Lord to the way he wants you to grow in isolation. We need other people around us to help us grow. We need the body of Christ. We need each other. As messy as it is, we do need each other because this gives us so many opportunities to display and to grow and to encourage each other, to use our gifts, to build up the body of Christ, to display Christ's forgiveness to one another. You can only do that in community. Everybody better say amen. That's why we need each other. Okay, I told you I was going to be short on this one. Here's the second thing I want you to see, the myth about the church. I want to dig our teeth into this because this is where I think everybody is is messed up or, or has a a misunderstanding about the church. Are you ready? The church is not a place. Okay, so what's, what's the issue here? Why, why, why is it not a place? Because we all say it, don't we? We're going to church. Living word church. We're, we're going to this, this place. Um, let me define this as biblically as I can what is a church. Here's, here's the best way I can define it. You can, they're in your notes here. Here's the best way I can define it. The church is a movement, not a location. So the church is a movement, not a location. So from its very foundation, the church started as a movement. So where did this concept of place come from? Let me, let me break this down for you, give you a little church history so we understand this because This will help us in our understanding of why we exist as the body of Christ. The word church translated in the Greek is the word ekklesia. Now, what this word ekklesia means in the early first century, basically what it meant was an assembly. It was a gathering or a meeting of people called out for a specific purpose. Um, it, it, It could mean anybody, any group that was called out to meet for a specific purpose. So the early body of believers of Jesus Christ were called out. They met together secretly in different places. They were called out. That's the word ecclesia, called out to meet for a specific purpose. Now, here's the problem. The word was never intended to mean a literal place. In fact, it's not even a religious term. 
Ecclesia is always used to explain a gathering of people who are united by a common identity, not a specific place. Okay, so you may be thinking to yourself, Pastor, why does the church use a different word? Why doesn't the Bible use a different word than the word church? I'm so glad you asked that question. Thank you for asking that question, by the way. It's a good question you guys just asked. This is a great question. Well, here's what happened. In early church history, there was this movement of God, and then eventually what they did was they settled for a a location. Thus, most people think that the church as a location, not really a movement. And and just, I said, we all say we're going to church. When does church start? Those people at living word, AG church are strange. You know, we all say it, right? So here's the thing. Let me give you a little church history here. Before the emperor Constantine in 300 AD, the followers of Christ actually met everywhere. In fact, it was dangerous because they were persecuted. And so many of them could actually lose their lives. So they met secretly. They met all over the place. And when Constantine declared himself a Christian, everything changed from that moment because now it became widely accepted. And guess what stopped? Persecution. So now there is this organic movement of God. People were, you know, uh, meeting underground. Things were, things were growing. The church was exploding. But all of a sudden the emperor, Constantine Rome, became a Christian and all this stuff, uh, it all stopped. And so what happened is it became popular and accepted and then worship became more extravagant. There was this ornate clothing. The hats kept getting higher and higher and higher and higher to show who was clergy and who were the lay people. And what you began to see was this clergy laity gap. We are the righteous. You are the people. And now you need to listen to us without it being this organic movement of everybody working together for the building up of the body of Christ. What happened was it moved from being this organic movement where everybody is sharing their faith and there's this movement and they're meeting at homes and so on and so forth to all of a sudden people became spectators. The death of any movement of God is when we turn into spectators. Where all we do is maybe we come to church and that's it. We just, we just, we're, we're spectators. And so what happened is it stopped being a movement where people shared this unique identity to something that was regulated to a location. And these places were called basilicas. It's Latin for building where people would meet. Now, what's interesting, so you're saying, okay, where did, the, where did the church come from? Where did this word church come from? Well, here, this is where it came from. Gothic cultures were also influenced by Christianity. It was spreading all over, spreading into Europe. And they also used a word for church that meant house of the Lord. And this was a gathering where Christians would gather together, or it could be used for when pagans gathered together. But this Gothic or Germanic term caught on, and this is where we get our English word church. Now, what's the big deal? You're thinking, well, pastor, what's the big deal? 
The big deal is that the word church is not a translation from the Greek. It's a substitution for the Greek. In fact, it's not even a very good one. The German meaning and the original ecclesia are two very different terms. The German term for church is a location, but the Greek term ecclesia actually means gathering or congregations. Now, why is it so important? Why is this so important? You think Pastor, thanks for the history lesson on church history. But why is it so important? Because what happened is, is people started to define church by a location and not a movement. And that was defined by simply understanding of who Christ is and what he came to do. And so what happened is, in the Middle Ages, the church became very powerful and corrupt. Owning much land, having the power of the people, of excommunication, They were the only ones who had the word of God written in a language that no one else could understand. A very dark time for the church. And during the Middle Ages in Europe, the Bible was actually chained to the pulpit so no one could steal it. So what happened is this grassroots movement in the first century that was exploding became institutionalized. And that's what makes the Reformation in the 1500s so powerful. Because what happens is the Bible fell in the hands of those who could translate it so that common man could understand it. And then when they began to read it from themselves, the whole Martin Luther, you know, that all changed everything for church. Because what happens is the common man could read and say, wait, 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 wait. That's not what the Bible says. That's not what the word of God says. Here's how man can come to Christ by faith. It's not through the church, it's through Christ. And all these things began to change, and so this opened up a whole new door for the common man to understand the word of God for themselves. So why is this important for us today? Here's why it's important for us today. If we are not careful, we can do the same thing, where the church is defined by a place and not a movement of people who have given their lives to Jesus Christ. See, we can become a Christian culture with no power. You don't join a church. You are one into the kingdom of God. You become part of a movement that is much bigger than living word. We must see the church as a gathering, different gatherings locally here at living word, but part of a worldwide gathering, just as, as J.R. Packard said so, so wonderfully. And so this is what we must concentrate on. People rather than a building. Church should be us. You are the church and I am the church. The message of the gospel rather than traditions, liturgy, or hierarchy. You are not confirmed into a church through a confirmation class. You are not, you are confirmed into the church through the body of Christ, through your salvation in Jesus Christ. Membership doesn't confirm you into a church. Your salvation in Christ does. Now, these things are not wrong in themselves, but what we can end up doing is trusting them for our salvation and not Jesus Christ. That's where the church went wrong. So what happens is I just go to this location and some of you may relate to this very well. Listen to me. If I just go to this location and allow the person that's up front to speak to me, they'll tell me what to do and then I'll just live my life. No, 
And many of you are brought up that way, where you would just go to church and you would let the person that was up front tell you what to do and read the Bible. And then you're like, okay, good. I got my hour in and I'm good. I did my religious thing. And see, my prayer for you is that, that you don't come here once a week and just listen to what I have to say and then live about your life. No, this is where we gather together to worship, sit under the teaching of God's word, but then we're thrust out into the world to do the work that God has called us to do. And my prayer for you is that you're reading the word every day yourself and growing in your relationship with the Lord each and every day on your own. That's my job as the pastor to encourage you to read the word on your own, to get into a Bible study, to grow in your relationship, to share the love of Jesus with others, to invite people who have not yet belonged to come into the kingdom of God. But what we've done is we just regulate our lives by just kind of taking the easy road, by just saying, I'll just go to a church, let them speak to me, and I'm good. That's where we went wrong. That's where the church went wrong. So what Jesus says to Peter is so important for us to understand. What Jesus says to Peter, and I tell you, Peter, that on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of Haiti will not overcome it. So here's what I want to spend the last couple minutes we have together. I want to explain what this means, because this verse is so misunderstood. <laughs> And it's been interpreted a million different ways. So let's, let's correct our understanding because we need to understand what Jesus was saying here and how Jesus would build his church. So what Jesus is saying is this. I will build my redeemed people that I've called out to myself. That is the church. The church are redeemed people who have come to Christ as their Lord and Savior who have been called out, who have been drawn to Christ. So what is the calling of the body of Christ? Jesus tells Peter, on this rock, I will build my church. And in verse 16, Peter expresses his belief in Christ, that you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Now this verse has been completely misunderstood. So let me give you a couple things that maybe you've been taught and let's try to understand what Jesus is saying here because of everything to do with the body of Christ. Some would say that Jesus is making Peter the first head of the church, the first pope in the line of all the other popes. Some would say that this doesn't necessarily refer to Peter, but actually a play on words. Because when Jesus says Peter, he uses the word Petrus, which is a Greek word that means little stone. Upon this rock, he uses the word Petra, which means rock or, or cliff. So you have this little stone and this rock or cliff. Upon Petros, I will build my church on this rock or this cliff. In a sense, you're the little rock, and on the rock bed, I will build my church. The rock foundation would be Peter's confession, verse 16, that you are the Christ. Now, there's some... Two variations, and you may say, yeah, I've heard both of those, Pastor. But let me give you a third one that I think is going on here. Let me give you a more correct understanding of what's going on here. I think there's something else going on here that brings a more meaningful and accurate explanation of what Jesus is saying to Peter. What I believe Jesus is speaking about Peter is this. Jesus is clearly talking about Peter and what Peter is saying. This is what Peter is saying. What Jesus is saying is this, Peter, 
I will build my church on what you are saying. The truth that you are speaking about me is how I will build my church. So let's kind of move Peter out of the way here. Because we get so caught up in Peter and we'll say, oh, this is me. And he's the one that started and he's the first pope. And he's done. Let's just move Peter out of the way and let's look at the confession that Peter is making. What he's saying is this I'm not going to build my church on anyone's worthiness. Thank God. Because I know we would mess that up in a quick hurry. I'm not going to build my church on titles. Everybody say amen. The church isn't built because of, because that one person is more special than the next. Everybody say amen. But what he's saying is this. I'm not going to build my church on your uniqueness or that you're more special than someone else, or you have more giftings than someone else. The church is built on Christ, not me. Are you getting it? It's not built. Thank God it's not built on me. It's not built on me. Jesus is the foundation because I want you to notice what Peter says, what his confession is. Peter says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. That's what the church is built on is our confession in Christ. That's what changes our lives. It's the truth. It's on the truth of Christ that the church is built. Every single one of you that have come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ and has confessed him as Lord and Savior. There's another block in the church. The the church is now expanding. The church is now growing. You are now part of this family of God because of your confession of faith, the truth of Jesus Christ, and what he has done for you. Not because of your merit, not because of... You had a better pedigree than someone else. Thank God he receives anyone who comes to him. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And whosoever shall believe in him shall have eternal life. Everybody say amen. Okay. This is important. This is what Romans 10, 17 says. Consequently, faith cometh by hearing the message. And the message is heard through the word about who? About who? Does it say Pastor Barden there? Does it say a priest in there? Mm -mm. Am I just the messenger? Are you just the messenger? That's what makes the church unique. It's our confession in Christ and what he's done that builds the church. It would be Peter's confession of truth of who Jesus is that would actually build his truth who would build his church. It was that truth that built the truth. Now, listen, let's be careful here because we can get all caught up in these methodologies about the right way to build a church. Well, I like the way they do it. I like how they do it. Blah, 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 blah. Let, let me just, let me just, let me just, let's be careful here. As a teenager, what attracted me to the youth group that I would eventually give my life to Here's, here's what attracted me to the youth group. You know what attracted me to it? It wasn't their worship. They had good worship. It wasn't that the youth pastor was a nice guy and he could speak the word well. It wasn't that they met in a really cool room. You know what attracted me to the youth group? 
The girls. No, I'm just teasing. That was part of it. It was part of it. But here's what really attracted me to the youth group is they went skiing. They would go on a ski retreat every winter during February break. And I love to ski. I'm like, that is a cool youth group. I want to go skiing. Right? That's what first attracted me to the youth group was that they went skiing. And during that ski trip, they would have... They would have services at night and Bible studies and so on and so forth. But as a teenager, the thing that attracted me to the youth group is how active they were. And they did ski retreats. I like that. Now, what eventually saved me was not the skiing. What changed my life was not the skiing. What changed my life? It was Jesus that changed my life and the proclamation of what Jesus did for me. Churches, a church may have great musicians, it may have a nice sanctuary, it may have a neat, nice kids and youth ministry, but what changes lives? It's the message of Jesus. It's, it's what's being proclaimed from this pulpit that changes lives. Somebody say amen. Okay. See, th- th- here's, the, here's the difference. Are we proclaiming the truth of Christ? So we need to stop getting caught up in all the methods because no one has the corner on how to do church the best way. I've seen things come and I've seen things go. I've been a Christian for a long, I'm old, crusty Christian over 30 years. I've seen it all come. People go, Pastor, what about, I've seen it come and I've seen it go. No one has the corner on how to do it. It's what's being proclaimed that changes Lives. Are you living and sharing the truth of Christ? So here's the last thing I wanted as we close. Here's the last thing. I, I love what Jesus says. He says, I will build my church and the gates of hate or the gates of hell will not overcome it. Once again, misunderstood verse. Let's correctly see what this means because this means everything for you and I today. What does this mean? The gates are meant To keep someone in. Gates are meant to do what? To keep something in. When our kids were little, we had gates all over our house because we lived in a colonial. We didn't want the kids falling down in the basement. We didn't want them falling down the steps. We had gates everywhere. We had little cages we kept our kids in just so we could go out. You know, we we all the cages, right? So you had you had these kids, right? To keep them not to escaping. All right. (laughs) Gosh, we were such bad parents. But I, I, uh, I remember when Wesley was little, he, he just had his diaper. It was a hot summer day, and he just had his, his diaper, and he escaped out the back door. I mean, it was like a flash. Boom, Wesley was gone in his diaper. You know, I think he was 15 at the time, but he was gone. He was at the back door. He, no, he was like two, and he's just escaping. We're like panicking, running around. And all of a sudden, there's a woman who lived in the apartments behind us who actually went to our church, and she's got Wesley by the hand. She goes, did you lose somebody? I'm like, Wesley, where did you go? And we're crying. He's laughing. You know, he's muddy, and he's like, this is you know, you thought that was the greatest thing. That's why we have gates and locks in our house today, right? Actually, that's a neat thing to do for teenagers. We should still do that today. Um, good idea. See, the idea of gates is meant to keep the church in, locked up, and imprisoned. That's what Jesus is saying here. The, the reason for gates is it's meant to keep us locked up and imprisoned. See, the gates of Hades meant Death and the grave. But Jesus tells us, here's what makes the church so powerful. Jesus tells us that not even the power of death can keep the church back. 
This means everything for you and I today. See, Jesus has overcome the grave. He's overcome death through his resurrection. The church is not some place we go. We are the church and we cannot be held back. I want you to see your life as a life that's been changed through the power of Jesus Christ. That your life is more than just being a Christian by the things you do, by just attending, coming to church on Sunday, and that's it. I want you to realize that your life is a force that that can be used for the Lord to change those around you. The church is not in these four walls. The church is most powerful when it's outside of these four walls. When you leave the church uh, premises and the property, the sign you see says what? You are now entering what? Your mission field. That's the church. The gates of hell will not prevail. They will not keep us in because death no longer has its hold on us. The church needs to be unleashed into the world. Let's not settle. People, listen, let's not settle for just this. It's great that we gather together and we worship together. But this is all training. This is all preparatory for what God desires us to be in the world. And when you can get that vision, I can remember my youth pastor just encouraging me as I was a young Christian and, and I was like, well, what can I do for, what, what are things that I can do for Jesus? What can I do beyond just coming to church? And so I went through a Bible study and I had someone that helped me understand the word of God. But he said this one thing to me that literally changed my teenage life. He looked me in the eye and he says, Barden, because I, I went to Western Underquite High School, just designated from Easter Underquite, just so you know that, because Western Underquite is better. But I went to Western Underquite High School. And I remember saying this to me. He said, Barden, this is how I want you to see your school now. I want you to see it as your mission field. Boom. Everything. I'm like, wait a minute. You mean like carry my Bible to school? Yeah. You mean like pray for my friends? Yeah. I'm like, that's crazy. No, I just want to hide in the church because it's nice and cozy in here and everybody loves me and we're all believe the same thing and no one's persecuting me. Really? That's it? He goes, yeah, that's, that's where you're going to grow the most. And he challenged me to live it out in my school. So that's when I started carrying my Bible. I was going to carry a Bible like this that looks like a normal book. But he says, no, no, you make sure to have the Holy Bible on the front so people know what you're carrying. And then I used to carry it inside of my books because I was embarrassed. <laughs> and then the Lord just encouraged me, put it on the outside of your books. Pray before you eat. And I don't want to grandstand, but he challenged me. I'd say, Barden, you're the church. You're the church in your high school now. You're part of the body of Christ that's so much bigger than just Bethel Full Gospel Church in the city. You are the church where you are. So many of us miss that. And I believe that's why some of you, your lives are kind of mundane, kind of lackluster, because you're just settling for this when there's so much more out there that God wants to use you in. He wants you to see your world, to see your neighbors, to see your coworkers, 
to see your family as your mission field. Not to beat them over with the Bible, but to love them. To enter in through those opportunities to share Christ with them. And to realize that the church is not in these four walls. The church needs to live in the world. And that's why the church grew so much in the first century because it wasn't relegated to four walls. When the church stopped growing and became corrupt is when it was relegated to four walls. Does, it, does that make sense? Shake your head, nod your head, wake up, give me some signs of life out there. <laughs> right? So here it is. We're going we're gonna to close in song. I love this song. It's, it's called Cornerstone. This is what our lives are built on. And if you're here today and you haven't made that profession of faith in Christ, I I would just encourage you to do that today and lay your life down. And here's the thing I want you to realize today. For those of you that are here today, um, let's not settle any longer for just, just going through the motions. Ask the Lord, God, what are you calling me to do? What do you want me to do? How do you want me to respond to this message? What can I do beyond the four walls of the church? How am I ministering for you? What do you want me to do, Lord? And let the Lord use you and realize he wants to use you in everyday life. I love hearing your stories of how God uses you in your everyday life, where you work and your families. I love, I love, I love, I love hearing those stories of how you're reaching out to your neighbors. I love hearing those stories. I believe when we begin to do that, the church cannot be stopped. You can't stop it. So listen, no matter what goes on in our world, it's not going to stop the church. Why? Because Jesus is the one building the church. So let's be his hands and his feet extended into this world. Lord Jesus, we just come before you today. I pray for a living word, this local congregation in Ontario, New York, that we would realize we're, we're part of a much bigger church that's global, that you would use us for your purposes and your glory. I pray for every individual in this place today that, God, you want to use them for your glory and your purposes, God. For, the, for those of us that are just stuck in a rut, I pray that we would get a new vision and a new passion for what you called us to do, that, that the church is not a building, that we are the church, that we are the church in our neighborhoods, that we are the church at our jobs, that we are the church in our families. God, give us a fresh vision of that today as you use us for your purposes and your glory. I thank you for every individual here today that you call us all, you call us all out of darkness into your wonderful light. It's not because of our merit or anything we've done. It's only by your grace. It's everything that you've done for us. And so may we just rely on the truth of who Jesus is and what he's done for us. So I pray that you would change our hearts today to not lose sight of why you came to this earth and you came to save us to change our direction, one that was headed to an eternal hell to give us the gift of eternal life for those who put their hope and trust in you. God, give us a new passion for our world. So we thank you for this time. And as we sing this song, may this be our prayer today that Jesus is our cornerstone. We thank you, we love you, and we ask these things in your name. Amen.